Episode 211 of the Bevan James Oil Show. A few random thoughts that hopefully come together. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 211 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Today's going to be a little bit different. And the reason is I'm recording this a week before you're hearing this. And the reason that is is because I'm heading over to Australia to see my daughter this week. Uh, Obviously, in this COVID world that we live in, travel is a bit restricted and luckily New Zealand... We're one of the lucky countries where we've been able to open our border, at least to Australia. And luckily, my daughter lives in Australia, so well, not luckily, I'd, I'd, I'd like to live at home, to be honest. But but she's, you know, she's established a new life in Australia. And uh, when the border's opened, I haven't got my vaccine yet. My vaccine, I imagine in New Zealand, I won't get my vaccine until probably about another three or four months from now. They're kind of, it's rolling out in New Zealand right now, but it's kind of going age requirements. And I'm down the bottom of the ladder, and, and I'm happy to be in that place. But at the same time, um, I haven't been able to see my daughter, and so this week, while you'll be, I'm releasing this show, you'll be, um, I'll be in Australia with my daughter, and I'm really looking forward to it, because I love my daughter, and one thing I've been talking a lot about lately is, to a lot of people, is how I love being an ad- a parent to an adult child. Um, parenting is, for those parents who know, this parenting is, is a roller coaster journey, and different ages have different challenges and different things in front of you, but adult children are just, well I suppose, as long as you've built a good relationship with your child, adult children, it's just awesome. You know, my daughter's a beautiful young woman. She's growing, she's achieving growth, she's developing herself, she's really caring and lovely. Uh, She's a talker, which goes well in my family. Um, And one thing I love about my daughter, because we we speak probably once a week, maybe on the phone, and, you know, you're going to get an hour out of my daughter because she just loves to talk. But she always will ask how everyone else is. So she'll ask how we are, and, you know, she, she just has that understanding of caring of others and, uh, you know, I just, I'm really proud of her. But, um, so the reason this is going to be a random show this week is because normally I have a couple of weeks to think about the Bevan show, but today the Bevan show is the Bevan shows right now, and I haven't really had a lot of time to think deeply on a subject that I wanted to present to you. So instead of doing a deep, you know, one theme kind of Bevan show, I thought that what I want to do is spend a bit more time on just a few different subjects that have been on my mind, and, uh, and you know, like as always, maybe there's some good stuff in there, and Maybe there's some stuff you can pass on. And before I get into the main just the show, I actually want to share an experience from this morning. So I get a call from my mother this morning. My mother is um, a great mum. Uh, like I say with my daughter, she's a talker. And my mum, you know, like she she's really good at keeping in contact. And one thing I think as a parent when you've got adult children is a lot of parents hope the adult children will care to show interest in them. And I've always thought that it's the adult's job or the parent's job, especially when you've got adult children, is to kind of, to, it's your job to make sure your children know you're there. And it's not because your children don't love you and it's not because your children aren't caring, but your children are having their own lives and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to move forward in their own way. And so, and it's not that they don't care about you, but I always just think, you know, it's your job to 
to keep the presence in their life and to not be offended if that's not the case. Like with my daughter, I'll ring her once a week. It's pretty rare she'll ring me, but when I ring her, we always have great times together. So it's not, an, I'm not offended by the fact she doesn't ring me. She's living a life. But when we do catch up, she's always happy to hear from me. And my mother's always been really good at that because she's, um, she's just always kept in contact. You know, she's the one who'll ring me. My mum probably rings twice a week, maybe even more. And, um, and, one thing is I've got my mum to running. My mum's always been a fit woman from day one. It's probably one of the reasons I'm a fit person. She was an athlete as a kid. She's always went to gyms and stuff. And then about 15 years ago, I got her into running. And, and you know, pretty much most days of my life, mum goes for a good run. She's, I'm going to hear about it. And it's cool because she just wants to share that with me. And uh, it's really nice. But sometimes my mum will ring. And, and there'll be times where I'm kind of busy and I have to do other things. And I have to be a little bit abrupt, and not not, not in a rude way, but it's because I say, "Mum, I hate to be rude, but I've got to go because you know I've got to go on." Because my mum, a bit like my daughter, we can we can end up talking for like an hour, and so I, sometimes I just don't have that time. And and you know what it's like with your parents; you can probably treat your parents a little bit more roughly than what you treat other people. And so I can be a little bit more abrupt in the way I close off conversations. Well, this morning I got a phone call from my mother because mum's coming to Australia with me as well. So both mother and my mother and I are heading to Australia to see Tyler because we're both, your mum's really close with my daughter as well. And um, she rang and she said, have you done your, because of COVID, one of the things we have to have right now is we have to have like a document that you've got to have kind of gone through on the internet between Australia and New Zealand, just so they know you're kind of safe as you go across the border. So she kind of rang and said, have you done your, have you done your border thing? And I said, oh yeah, I did a couple of days ago. And she was like, oh no, you know, cause she, long story short, she thought she needed to get done within two days of going not before two days. So she was a bit panicked. But as mum's talking to me, mum's got a lot of things happening in her life right now. So we've got this trip coming up, which means she's trying to get ahead of work. My nan has been sick recently and um, sick in ways which are really concerning. Now she seems to be getting through it, but you know, my nan is in her late 80s, uh, has always been an active woman, got a great mind, great attitude, but she's, you know, she's been in and out of hospital and it's, and you know, as the adult child, you often become the parent when your parents get old. And mum actually said to me this morning, you know, when having sick parents is really hard work. So she's had that. Then um, my parents have a rental property that one of my, my sister's son is moving into. So they had the last weekend they had that kind of someone moving out of a rental property and they had to go clean up the property and then help my nephew, my nephew move into this property. Um, and you could just tell mum was really stressed. And she said, I feel really stressed. And one thing I've dropped is my running. And, you know, if you've listened to me talk about this show, you know, one thing I'm always to say is, in your most busy times, defend the things that keep you in a good place. And for my mother, running is a big part of her staying in a good place. But just in this last moment, she just has not had the time to run. So there's kind of, A, the stress of looking after your mother and the emotional stress that comes around that. B, the stress of trying to get on top of work because you know you're going away for a week. C, the stress of trying to help someone clean up a house, all that kind of stuff. And then D, moving away from some from some, some of the behaviours that are really important to you that keep you in a good place. And as mum was saying to me this to me, she kind of told me all this stuff. And then I, I kind of had to say, oh, sorry, Mum, I hate to be rude, but I've got to go. Now, it wasn't because I didn't want to listen to my mother. It was just because literally in like five minutes from now, I was, I was actually at a gym when my mum rang me. And I just had to go because I had to go teach a class in like the next 15 minutes. And so as mum was saying to me, I said, oh, sorry, Mum, I've got to go. I hate to be rude, but I've got to go because I've got to go teach a class. But I felt awful. 
And the reason I felt awful was because as soon as I started saying to my mother, look, sorry to be rude, but I've got to go, I knew my mum was putting an emotional bid forward. Like if you, you know, you've heard me talk about, if you've heard, listened to the show for a long time, you've heard me talk about John Godman's work. And John Godman's work is, one of his best books is um, How to Be Rebuild Trust or something like that. I can't remember. It's, and it's kind of dealing with relationships where they've had issues like might be the affair or might be something that's hurt the relationship. I can't remember which book. He's got so many good books. But one of the things he talks about is good relationships build trust and bad relationships build betrayal. And betrayal and trust. So, and and the, the really simple way of putting this is when I need you, you are there for me. And when I need you, if you're not there for me, that creates a sense of betrayal. You know, I'm, I'm sure if you reflect upon your life and you think of the relationships that haven't worked out for you, is that those people who've, who have you moved away from in life have ultimately, when you needed them, they, they weren't there for you. And so there's that sense of betrayal from that person. And so eventually you kind of just end up disconnecting. And that can be from a relationship, it can be from friends, it can be from workmates. But then when you think about those people who are your core people, the people who really mean a lot for you, and and you have that trust of when I need you, you're going to be there. And as I was speaking, to, as I got off the phone to my mother, I felt really awful because it was one of those moments where I did actually catch the bid. Now the timing was really unfortunate because I knew, oh, I just had to go. Like I just had, I, I, unfortunately, I couldn't give the time to my mother, but I knew that. In that moment, all my mum needed was someone to to show a bit of empathy, to show some understanding, to not give advice. You know, it wasn't it wasn't. She just needed to offload, and she just needed someone to you know just to kind of be there and be that ear to be there. And and it was a real obvious moment where my mum gave an emotional bid, and unfortunately, I didn't do it very good. Now it was circumstantial. But I did feel bad about it. And actually, after I taught my class, I rang mum again. I just said, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm just checking in, you know. And then I kind of went to that place of showing understanding. And why do I want to share this with you? Because I think one of the things that we've got to get really good at in life, and if we want to have good relationships, we, we do have to build good trust. And that trust, again, if we go to Godman's kind of definition of trust, trust is when I need you, are you there for me? Now, Godman talks about the lots of little interactions we have with communication. So he's talking about these kind of constant little bits of communication that kind of build that deeper trust. And great relationships, they know how to build trust. It's not that great relationships don't have problems, and it's not that they don't have arguments, it's not that they don't have things to work through, but it's just that idea of when I need you, 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 you show trust. You do things that make me think you'll be there when I need you. And to me, the first step you've got to get really great at this is catching the emotional bid. Now, today, my mum put the emotional bid towards me. She, she, she was stressed. She had this, this document she had to sort out because she left it too late. She had Nana. She had the house. She had the work she had to do. And she put a bid towards me, and I kind of rejected her. Now, again, it was circumstantial, but I did feel bad. But the thing I want you to think about, and maybe this is a little homework for you because I kind of like helping you guys grow through homework, is I want you to... to become really great at catching emotional bids from people in your life in this next week. So think about the next week, so next week of your life. I want you to catch emotional bids. Now sometimes emotional bids are really obvious. Like my mum's was really obvious one today. She was just kind of telling me I'm under, and she even said I'm just really stressed, having got so she's just telling me I need, I need an emotional outlet. There was an obvious one. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's just a, someone comes home in a different energy, or they're a bit sad. Or just their tone's a little bit different. I want you to become, just, here's Bevan's little challenge for you this week. 
Think about the people in your life and try to catch when they're putting an emotional bid towards you. Now, if there's going to be two steps in this challenge, the first step is to catch the emotional bid. Okay, so let's catch the emotional bid. The second step, and this is really important, the second step in this journey is to think to yourself, what can I do to build trust with this person in this bid? Now, unfortunately, what a lot of people do when it comes to the emotional bid is the way they respond builds betrayal. So one of the one of the classic examples is this, that the other person just problem solves. So let's say my mother, you know, I understood the emotional bid and I could have just said to her, well, what you need to do is you need to tell your boss you can't work so much today. You need to get Auntie Helen to look after Nana and, you know, you just need to make sure you do your running. Now, that's not, that's, that doesn't, that creates betrayal because she doesn't need me to provide solutions. She just needs mutual understanding. So your, your kind of two-piece homework is be aware in the next week when people are putting emotional bids towards you and then just think, what can I do right now to build that trust, that trust that they will understand that I am a good choice when they put emotional bids forward? And then just see what happens. I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. It's a, it's a really good skill to have because ultimately the more we can build trusting relationships with people in our lives, the better relationships we're going to have in our lives. So, you know, you know, this is just so, like relationships, cheapest groupers, we want to have good mental health, we want to have great relationships in our life as well. So that's just kind of the first random thought from today. Now I'm going to put the music on in a second, but before I do, I just want to say a big thank you to our patrons. And I actually have a new patron today. So a lady by the name of Deanne Bedgood. Now Deanne actually runs with my crew. She's, um, how would I describe Deanne? Deanne, a, a, she does really well for running. Uh, she's got a great little bunch of runners and it's really the essence of what we do when I think about her and her crew, because I've become really good friends. They're all support, so supportive of each other, pretty similar ability. Um, they just have good fun together, but they also challenge each other with their running, so it's really quite cool. But one thing you learn about Deanne pretty quickly, she's just a friendly soul. You know, she's just a real, she's always got a smile on her face. She's just really friendly. I think she's a really caring soul as well. So the nickname's pretty simple for Deanne, because I just think, you know, like, A, she achieves a running goal. She's getting better at bringing her elbows in. That was always a technique thing. Um, but also she just, you know, she's just one of those people who's a lovely person to have in other people's lives. And so, Deanne, your nickname is The Friendly One. Now, if you want to become a patron of the show, it's pretty simple. Go to bevanjamesisles.com, go to podcast, click on support. It's all very obvious once you go through that. You donate as little or as much as you want. And for those people who are patrons, including Paula the Powerful Punisher Green, Marion Momentum and Clat, we've got George the Wild One Baker, we've got Mary I've Got the Power, and Ginger the Governor Dave. Uh, these people are also patrons of the show. Your cool nickname, but more importantly, just support me and what I'm doing. So thank you to all the patrons of the show. You guys rock. And uh, yeah, let's get into the main gist of the show. One thing I always find really interesting is why do people join my 5K running group? Why do people join? And and there's lots of reasons for this, but but if I kind of kind of put it down to two, one of the reasons is being dissatisfied with where you currently are in life. And obviously, with our 5K running group, we're trying to target um, people who aren't moving. You know, our target, our main market is at least aren't running, but at majority of our people are in a place with life where they're just not really doing any movement at all. And so, when we kind of look at the, the majority of people who are going to join, it's, it's kind of that uh, just 
dissatisfied. They're unhappy with where they are and, 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 and they see we provide a solution and they think to themselves, now is the time to do it. So it might be that they're overweight. It might be they're just not looking after their health. It might be that they were fit in the past and they've fallen away from it. And just any of those things. You, you might even be experiencing this in your life right now. It's that place where you're just like, I don't like being in this place and I need to make some change. Now, something, what's really interesting with that is often you've got to have gone to a really bad place to actually make the change. Like, you know, like when uh, many people are in a place where they're just not happy in their life or satisfied with a certain area of their life, but they kind of just live in acceptance of it. But then when it goes below a point, that's when they think, you know what? I need to make a change. Now, I'm not going to go into that side today, actually. Today's not about that. because um, But it's just important to acknowledge that a lot of people join for that reason. There's another group of people who join, which I always find really interesting. And these people are the people who have had the decade birthday. What do I mean by the decade birthday? It's kind of when you turn 30, 40, 50, 60. We've even had people join when they're 70, which is pretty cool when you think about it. And they have their decade birthday and something happens in their life. What, like, like I've never actually sat down and did the stats, but when we looked at the 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 people who have joined our groups over the year for the first time, I'm sure if we kind of got all kind of geeky about it and stats out on it, I'm sure there would be a percentage increase higher for people on their decade birthdays. And you'll often get people who will come along to our first seminar or come along to our first sessions, and, I'll, and I'm always asking, why did you join? Because I'm trying to get that insight from the people who join. And a lot of people will just say, oh, you know, I've just turned 40 this year, I've just turned 50, and I just wanted, I need to do something, I need to have a goal. I find this really fascinating, the decade birthday. Why is the decade birthday so empowering for people to create change in their life? Like, why is it when you hit 50, you know, suddenly you're going to achieve a running goal that maybe you've known you wanted to do for 15 years, but you're going to do it. And it's not just a running goal. It's, you know, a lot, a lot of people do that bucket list thing when they turn 50. The decade goal is a moment where we go, I'm going to be a better version of myself. And why is this the case? Well, I think that ultimately what it is, is the decade age is a confronting moment in your life, particularly if you're getting a little bit older. Maybe when you're 30, not so much, although, you know what, maybe it is. Uh, maybe not so much when you're 20 or 10, I'm pretty sure when you're 10 you're not, you're not going that deep into this, but the decade is a, is a really interesting moment because A, a lot of people are scared of the decade birthday, there's a lot of people who who it's, it's a really confronting moment in their life. And why, why, is, why is this? And I ultimately, I've been thinking about this because it's something I find really fascinating. Why is the decade birthday so powerful? Well, I think the decade birthday is so powerful because it's a moment where you really have to stop and do deep reflection of your life, on, of yourself in your life. Like when you're turning 50, it's a big moment in your life, isn't it? Like I remember years ago, well not so long ago actually, my father said to me, and I found this really powerful, he said to me, Bevan, there's an age where you turn and you realise there's an end. There's an age where you turn and you realise there's an end. Now my dad's only 64, so, he, you know, like he, and he's a good healthy fit man, so I kind of hope that my dad lives for another 20, 30 years, you know, he's got a long time in front of him. Um, but... He said, you know, you get, and, and I'll admit I haven't had that age. I'm, I'm kind of 43, 44 this year. I, I don't think I've hit that age where I'm going, oh, there's an end. But he was talking about how, you know, there's, there's this age you hit when you realise there's an end. 
And I kind of think in many ways the decade birthday, especially as you kind of get into the kind of 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe 70s, the decade's birthday is just such an amazing time where you kind of have to reflect. You have to have this deep reflection in your life that is massive. And what's really fascinating about it, for a lot of people, now I can't say it works for everybody, but for a lot of people, it becomes a transformational moment in their life. Like, you, you, you hit 50, you've kind of maybe been scared going up to it, maybe you're not everyone's scared of getting older, but let's say you are, you're, you're scared getting up to it, and you and you wake up and you're 50, and you go, okay, well, what am I going to do with my life now? If, 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 you know, if I've hit 50, how do I want to use my life? And that's why our Get Up To Five product is so appealing for the decade birthday people. So what's the lesson on this? And again, as I as I did in today's interaction, today's show is going to be a bit random. I'm just going to kind of throw some random bits at you, and it's not going to be the longest show I ever do because, well, because random shows are a bit random. Um, but the decade birthday brings that deep reflection, which often leads to inspirational change, transformational change. Like the people who I see who join, they often they do change their life. I'm thinking of a lady in a group called Lizzie, and, and she joined, and um, she said I looked at joining for years, and then I had my I turned I can't remember what age it was. I turned a decade birthday, and um, I just knew I had to do something. I knew I had to make some change. And now now Lizzie's trying to do a first half marathon right now. She's made some big change in her life. And Lizzie's an example where she's just not about running. She's kind of growing in many areas of her life. And the, the question I suppose I have for you is, why wait to the decade? Like, why wait to the decade? Like, if, like if you know you need transformational change in your life, if you're 44 right now, why wait six years? Like, why delay it? Why does it have to be this moment where a, a, a time on a clock makes you do the deep reflection? And, and when I say why wait for the birthday, why wait for the end of the decade, what I'm meaning here is why wait to do the deep reflection? Why wait to do the deep reflection? That's to me. That's the most important. That's the most important question I'm thinking about here, because the, the what the decade makes you do is do the deep reflection, and then what people do is they have the transformational change because they realise they want to make change and they need to make change because now's the time to make the change. And so, again, today's show is going to be a random one, and this is a pretty a pretty quick short point. But if if why wait? Why don't you just do the deep reflection? I kind of just think it's, it's such an important thing to do in life is to stop and do deep reflection. And maybe one thing to think about is how do I do it habitually? How do I make deep reflection a habitual part of my life? And, and there's probably some ways you can do this. And, and I'll share my experiences. So to me, my goal setting process, it's, it's a kind of a three or four month process I'll do in my life. My goal setting process is a deep reflection time. A goal setting process starts with who am I? It goes deep into where am I right now? It goes deep into am I happy with where I am right now? It goes deep into if I were to change, what change would I want to create? Then it goes deep into what kind of plans I want to do to create that change and so on and so on. I do this kind of, realistically I probably do this three times a year. So for, for every four months I sit down and, and it's a chunk. Like it's a chunk of time. It's not just I have a quick think about it. I probably spend about four or five days in this process and it probably all together probably takes about 10, 15 hours of my time. 
but it's a really powerful time. It's a deep reflection moment. And from that deep reflection, I kind of change the compass that I'm that I'm facing in life, and I and I keep realigning it to my true north, and I keep kind of sh- moving down that evolution. So there's there's that kind of big chunk moment of reflection that a lot of people never do, unless they hit that ten year mark. So the first thing is, is how do I make the big chunk reflection a part of an annual experience? And I do it three times a year. One's better than none. You know, you know, to actually and, and, and then commit to the time and energy to actually doing it. Like one thing I used to do, I don't need, I don't do it so much, but I used to actually go and hire out a room in, in a hotel and just literally just go away for a day and just chunk it out. I've actually got a client who I know who does this as well, and they love it because they just get away from life and they can just free think. Like what an investment that is in yourself. Like imagine if you you paid two hundred bucks to hire a hotel room got some food, locked yourself away, took all the gear you need to do that deep self-reflection, and, and on the other side of it, imagine the value of that. Like, what a great use of $200. And then the second area is is, is the, the, the more often reflection. I don't know if that really makes sense, the more often, but I'm going with it. The more often reflection. For me, you, you guys know what that is. It's my weekly meeting my weekly meeting and, and um, since I did my last podcast Joe and I have made a commitment to making it a thing that we do together and it's that we sit down we reflect upon the week we do a reflection where do we do well where could we tweak where do we evolve how do we plan the next week and then for me I even do my daily meeting my daily the first thing I do is read my Bevan book write down my things I'm trying to achieve looking for those defining moments and so on and so on reflection is the power of the decade from reflection, we we'll often make transformational change or we'll point ourselves in the right direction moving forward. If you want to become a higher level of yourself in your life, you've just got to have reflection as a part of it. And this is the thing, is often for a lot of people, unfortunately in their life, reflection comes from either a fluke, life putting a situation in front of them, so the breakup, the job loss, something bad happening to them, um, or a moment where it gets put in front of them like the decade age. My challenge to you is to not make it a fluke, to not make it because you're responding to life and not to wait to a decade age. My job is to you is to go, how often am I doing my reflection work? And of the different levels, that higher, you know, go away for a day and, and go hard on my deep reflection, the, the, the constant chicken, the weekly, the daily, how often are you doing that? I guarantee... If you were a master of the, just just that thing, you would have a much higher life. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Because the thing I know is that you're intelligent. And I say it again because it's so important. You're intelligent. And the thing about reflection is it just shows you what problems you need to solve. And the thing I can always trust in people is if you can help them find the right problem to solve the majority of people are pretty intelligent at solving their problems. And so when you think about yourself, if you were to kind of give yourself the time to stop and see your problems, I guarantee you're pretty intelligent and you'd be able to figure out the way forward. And that's what happens to people in their decade moment, is that the age makes them reflect, they realise they want to create some transformation, that they're intelligent, they're wise, and then they make the change. So that's my first point in today's talk. The second thing I want to talk about, and it's a bit random, 
And maybe I've kind of been addressing this a little bit lately. I was watching a YouTube clip the other day. Um, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando is arguably one of the greatest actors of all time. Admittedly, I don't really know his work. The Godfather, I have watched, but I, I can't really... I know it's one of the greatest films of all time, but I can't, it didn't really make an impact on me, but it was a long time ago, so I'm sure. It's one of those movies which... After that movie's made, so many movies copy it. And so you don't really, under, unless you're of that time, you don't necessarily understand the impact of that movie at that time. So for me, that movie is, you know, for my generation, that movie is The Matrix. Like when The Matrix came along, you're like, what the heck is this? This is absolutely, this is unbelievable. And then after that moment, there was kind of lots of copycats and lots of, you know, movies that kind of took ideas and maybe evolved it a little bit. Um, and so when you watch kids watch get kids to watch The Matrix now, that you know, they were, oh, that's a good film, but they just don't get the impact of what The Matrix was like when that movie came out. Like, OMG. And and I imagine The Godfather was kind of the first gangster film of, of a deeper level like The Godfather. And, you know, since that time you've had Goodfellas and, and, and Sopranos. And so when I watched it, I, I probably was too late in the piece. And But Brando, Marlon Brando is definitely one of the actors who goes down as one of the greatest actors of all time. And, and from what I understand, when you hear actors of his generation talk about him, is he just changed the game. Like he just, he was just a revolutionary actor. So I was watching this clip on YouTube a few weeks ago, a while ago, uh, David Letterman's show in the early 80s. And, and the Letterman show was an interesting one because early on he was the kind of the later show. And so it was very much kind of a, a young guy and his idiot mates having some fun in a bit more edgy way than what the show became at the end. But he had an interview with Christopher Reeve. Now, Christopher Reeve, if you don't know, he was the guy who played the 70s Superman. And this was a huge film in the 70s. Superman, the movie, was an absolute massive film in the 70s. And one of the, the stories of the Superman film was... Now, I'm not sure, to be honest, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on my facts here, but um, one of the stories was that... Either Superman 1 or 2, they paid Marlon Brando a million dollars to play, I think it was Superman, his father on Krypton or whatever it was, the place where I, I'm no Superman geek, but the, the father on the planet that Superman's on. And they paid him a million dollars to do this role, which was a, a bit of a bit part in the film. And the reason they did that is because it's Marlon Brando. You know the greatest actor of all time. He's going to come along and he's going to be on this film, and uh, and it was big news at the time because in the seventies, a million dollars for this for for a film and for a bit part in a film was an absolutely huge thing. And so Christopher Reeve, who was the main actor in Superman, goes on David Letterman, and now Christopher Reeve, you know nowadays superhero films are such a big part of kind of the social pop culture but at the time Superman was was a big thing but Christopher Reeve wasn't what you'd call a, a traditional uh, I'm going to say movie star or leading man and what I mean by that is he was very very traditionally trained as an actor so he was a highly highly skilled actor who got given this role which was you know you're thinking of more of a Tom Cruise or a, a, a Liam Hemsworth is that Liam Hemsworth Chris Hemsworth sorry um, you know not saying those guys aren't good actors, but this guy was a guy who could do probably like a Hamlet. You know, he was a very highly trained actor. So he goes on David Letterman, and Letterman goes to him, what was it like to train? What was it like to act with Marlon Brando? And I love this interview, because Reeves does not pull the punches. He, you know, like nowadays you ask, you know, if let's say you've had a bad experience, you're a top actor. Let's say you're, 
you know, you've acted with Tom Cruise or you know, somebody else and, and they weren't that easy to work with. Nowadays, you're just, oh, you know, we had our problems, but, you know, like the film, really happy with the film. Everyone just is so PC in their answers. Well, Reese just kind of goes off at Marlon Brando and, and he says, I was really, really disappointed in what Marlon Brando brought to this. He, he turned up unprepared. He didn't respect the role. You just felt he was coming in to get the money and do the runner. Um, he, he, just, he just bagged one of the greatest legends of acting in this interview. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. I find it mind-blowing. And the reason he bagged it, and, and this is what I loved about Christopher Reeve in this moment, because he's a young man and he's got, he's, I'm going to say, he's got bulls. Because to go on Letterman and say this about one of the icons of the industry was pretty gutsy. And the reason he said it is he said, on this film, we had a lot of young actors who were passionate and wanted to grow and be the best actors we could be. And in this moment, we saw an opportunity to work with one of the greatest actors of all time. And he turned up and he let us down. He turned up and he was a disappointment. I wanted to learn from the greatest and all he taught me was how much of a disappointment he was. And I, I, I just love that he had the guts to say that because so many people would never say that. So A, I love that he has the guts to say that. But B, there's a big message in this for me and, and it's probably more for the people who are listening to this who are a little bit older your your influence is important and what you bring to a culture is so so important i think i may have lightly talked about this last time but in my book i think i may have talked about it with my daughter how you know don't one thing you don't want to think about with, with young kids is let them have their wins don't just show how good you are i think i talked about it in the last podcast but one thing i talk about in my book i talk about this experience um because the last chapter of the book that I'm kind of working through right now, it's all going really well, is the last chapter is, um, I want the, the person to go through the experience of loving fitness is to help somebody else love fitness. And in the last chapter, I, the challenge is to help somebody else. So, so the, the whole I've done in my book right, right now is I'm going to take you from doing nothing to be passionate with exercise. And there's this kind of journey you go through. And at the very end, your last chapter, your last journey is to help a new person find love of exercise so you know trying to spread that love and kind of guide them through the experience and one thing I, I shared this and then there's a lesson every every chapter has lessons and rules and strategies but one of the things I share each story I share is I just hear a share a story about how when I was first started at Les Mills so when I first started at Les Mills I wanted so hard like nothing more in life was more important to me than being the greatest I could be in this job and to achieve the greatest levels of this job. And there's kind of the ladder of the, of the things you can achieve. So the first thing is just to become an instructor. You know, to be a Les Mills instructor at this time was a really important thing in my life. And I, and I became an instructor. And then the next thing is to be a workshop presenter in your local region. So a workshop presenter is, means that every three months they release this kind of new material. And the best instructors in the program get to present that material to everyone else at the gym and your peers and other people from the local region. So it kind of means that you've reached a, a high level within your local peers. And being a workshop instructor, I remember when I got to be a, my first workshop instructor, man, it was, it was, I was 
unbelievable, over the moon. And man, I worked hard and I did a great job. And then there's and then you kind of then there's another level. So then it's become a national presenter. It's when you they fly you around the country to be a presenter at other workshops. And then it's to be a trainer and it's to train other instructors. And then it's to be a DVD presenter and then it's to be an international presenter. And so I kind of luckily went up the ladder. So I've kind of achieved everything I ever hoped and I got to get to the highest rung of the Les Mills ladder, unless you want to be a choreographer, which was something I didn't want to do. So I got to the highest level I ever wanted to be within this business. And I remember after about maybe five or six years into my career, where I now was traveling around the world, doing workshops, presenting DVDs, I was, I was at the highest rung. I did a workshop in my local region. I did a, it was a, it was a local workshop um, and I was presenting Body Attack and Body Attack's the program I'm most known for and there's this young instructor who was it was their first time presenting at a workshop and I was Marlon Brando I let them down I turned up and I disregarded the value of a workshop because for me by now I'd done a hundred workshops and they were easy for me. I didn't really prep much for them because I knew the tricks of the trade. So when I went and saw them, I said, oh, you don't have to worry so much. It's, it's pretty easy. Um, I didn't prep for them that well. Um, we did an okay job, but, you know, like I, I knew how to do my job. I'm sure the class was fine. But I let this person down. I, I was their Marlon Brando and they were Christopher Reeve. They, they, they thought that, you know, I was in their, you know, I'm a DVD presenter. I'm, I'm held at the highest rung on this ladder. And I think they're going to get to work with this guy who they, maybe they've looked up to. And and I let him down. And I remember after that, I, it wasn't this person, but I, I remember I went up to Auckland for another workshop and, and other people of my level did the same thing to another young instructor. And the day before we were presenting... I think, I, was, I think in this situation I was mentoring a group of instructors to teach another program and we had like four people at my level who were all just taking the piss, weren't really caring and there was a young instructor who was their first time and the young instructor, a bit like Christopher Reeve, they, they, they pulled us up. They, they, in front of everyone, they said, guys, I've got to be really honest, I'm totally disappointed in all of you. Being a workshop presenter at this workshop means so much to me in my career and I've worked my butt off to make sure I turned up ready to do my work well, ready to be a sponge to learn from you guys who I see as legends. And some of you don't even know your choreography. Some of you don't even know the one-on-one of what we're doing. And I just, I've just got to let you guys know that I'm really disappointed. And now, A, I, I love, the again, the balls of this kid because they pulled us up. And in that moment, I realised that I'd let my person down in Christchurch as well. And in that moment, I realised that if I want to be a higher level person in my life, I always have to get the people who are lower down the rung than me, I have to treat them in a way that respects the run they're at and that helps them evolve in their journey. So from that moment forward, whenever I was even just doing a Christchurch workshop, which again I did, I've done hundreds of, not easy for me, I made a commitment to, I'm going to turn up and show them what it's like to be the highest level. And I'm really proud of this actually because there's a young instructor in here called, in Christchurch called George and um, he, he, got, he got to the level where he got to be a DVD presenter for Les Mills, which again is the highest level. And I remember after presenting with him, he, he was talking to someone else. I was just having a conversation one day and he was talking to someone else and he said, I love working with Lisa and Bevan because when you work with them, you understand what it takes to be the level to be DVD presenter. So instead of being Marlon Brando with George, I... 
the way I acted showed him because I I went back to respecting every rung of the ladder that I had been on. I I showed him that, mate. If you want to be a if you want to be a workshop presenter, you've got to make sure you know your stuff. You've got to make sure you have, you know your bits. You've got to make sure you have your script. And and how do I show them? Oh, I'd done it myself. I respected that role, even though I probably could still wing it. And then when he came and we practiced, I showed him stuff that was in the next level. And then when he came a DVD presenter, I, you know, I showed and cared and guided him as well. And to me, one thing that's really important if you want to be a, a positive impact on people in your life is to understand that people who are lower down the ladder of you still want you to show them how to go up that ladder. And there's two things that are really important to think about here. The first is, you always respect the role, no matter what level the role is. Always respect the role, no matter what level the role is. Like for example, I do public speaking, and I, and I like public speaking, but it's something I don't I don't chase a lot of because it's I it's, I like making transformational change. And I think you could take people through journeys. So public speaking is a bit different to that. So um, when, now I've got talks that I've done a hundred times. I know them off the back of my hand. But you know what? Every time I do a public talk, I'm in my office here. My neighbours must think I'm weird because I'm practising my public talk like I'm doing it for the first time. I respect the role. And when I'm trying to guide other people, I respect the role and I try to guide them no matter what rung of the ladder they're in. So if you want to be a positive influence on others and you want to be a leader and you want to help people go to the next levels in your life, one of the most important things you need to understand in yourself is even when I'm going below levels that are easy to me, that aren't that hard for me, I have to respect that what it takes to be great at that role. And I'm going to influence by showing. I'm going to influence by showing. But then also your job is to guide the people who are at that rung, to kind of show them what it takes to be the next level, to challenge them, to grow them, to, to stimulate, to reward them, to praise them, to reflect after the fact. Because if you can do that really well, well, there's a few things that happen. You get challenged. You know, like for a guy who's been at this highest level for Lesmos for a long time, when I see these young kids come through and I've, you know, young George, like, you know, like he, he challenged me on the DVD himself now because he's such a high level. I've got to go, mate, I've got to lift my game. And I want that. But secondly, look at the impact you're having. So my second point today is don't be Marlon Brando. Don't be Marlon Brando. If you're at a high level in your life and you look down the ladder and you look at the things you've achieved and you see other people climbing up that ladder, be the be the person who's going to be like, who's, who Christopher Reeve wanted beside him. Be the person who shows him, who respects the role, but also will guide the person underneath them to a higher level. It's one of the greatest things you can give to somebody else in life is a higher level. And by you doing that really well, it's going to be so rewarding for you. So that's the main gist of today's show. And kind of my points were today, first of going back to before, the main gist is to catch bids. And your homework there is to catch bids on the people in your life and think, how can I build trust? Secondly is why wait for a decade moment to have deep reflection? And your job there is to think about creating moments in your life where you have deep reflection. The big moment, like going away, or and you probably want to do that once, two, three times a year. And then your constant check-ins for your deep reflection. And then um, respect your role. You know, be like, be what Superman wanted. Don't be Marlon Brando. If you do this stuff well, maybe you'll be a higher level of yourself. (music) 
Rightio team, that's today's show pretty much done and done and dusted. Just one thing I do want to let you know about. So um, I've started this new thing called Keep Active with Bevan. It's it's a it's a it's a video version of what I do here. So basically every Sunday night I release a video on my database. Um, and it's just like a five to ten minute clip which has a key message, maybe some homework to do. Um, I released the first one last night and um, I've had some really amazing feedback on it. And I, the idea is I'm gonna release it, now this is New Zealand time, I'm gonna release it pretty much between 6 and 6.30 every Sunday night moving forward. So um, if, you're, if you enjoy the show and you wanna get a bit more of what I do and maybe a bit more concise on video, um, yeah, it, it's totally free, I'm not charging for it, it's just more content, I'm just trying to, I'm going back to, you know, talk about the mission, help people grow and belong through movement, uh, so it's just another way that I can help people grow, so if you want to get it, it's totally free, just go to the website, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, keepactivewithbevan.co.nz, and by doing that, you will just see, if you go to that page, I've got a little video that just describes what I'm doing, and it just has the, you just, all you need to do is put your email and your uh, name in there, totally free, I'm not going to spam you, it's not about spamming, it's purely just me creating content that can help you grow. Again, I got some really amazing feedback on the first video and you know me, I like to do high level content that really helps you think, so if you are interested in it, again, go to keepactivewithbevan.co.nz. I want to say a big thank you to the patrons, if you're not a patron on the show, you can go to bevanjamesisles.com and once you're there, just click on podcast, go support me and go through the process. Those who are patrons, thank you so much. Other than that, I'm heading to Australia. I so can't wait to see my daughter. I'm really looking forward to it. So heading to Australia pretty soon. But other than that, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's good times. So that's me out for this week. I'm back in a couple of weeks. I've, I've got an interview lined up with a guy who's written a book about mental fitness. So we'll be getting deep into mental fitness in a couple of weeks' time. Right? Keep, what do I say? Keep being you.